Welcome to Disney's Four Scores. I'm John Burlingame. This podcast series brings together the most accomplished film and television composers working today and reveals the emotional journeys, inspirations, and unique challenges of their work. Our guest today is a Grammy winner for his contributions to the Dark Knight soundtrack, an Emmy nominee for his work on Genius and Restless, and a multiple BAFTA nominee for such video games as Call of Duty and Assassin's Creed. His film credits range from Mission Impossible Fallout and Terminator Genesis to Bad Boys for Life and the Lego Batman movie. Welcome, Lauren Balf. Well, thank you. That list makes me feel exhausted, but it also makes me feel a bit old. (laughs) (laughs) It'll only get worse, you know, Lauren. That's what that's what my doctor told me. <laughs> At the beginning, before we get into Black Widow, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Where did you grow up? I grew up in the Highlands of Scotland in a place called Inverness, which is very famous for being close to the Loch Ness Monster, which does exist. That's a fact. <laughs> um, so my upbringing was in the Highlands of Scotland. Was music always part of your life? Uh, yes. I was born into a musical family. My father was a songwriter, and then we had a, a residential recording studio next to our house. So Ozzy Osbourne would come and record, and ironically, Inner Circle, who did the song Bad Boys, recorded there also. So my first ever drumming lesson was from the drummer from Inner Circle. So yes, it was always around me. And is it true that you were a percussionist with the Edinburgh Symphony? Yeah, I, I was. I was dyslexic. And basically, I figured out that I was good at banging things. <laughs> and I, I had more fun being a drummer in bands. But I got into orchestral percussion because I knew right from the beginning I wanted to be in an orchestra to see how it worked. So I kind of got into it and I was, I hate to say it, naturally talented at it, which meant I didn't have to practice a lot. So that to me worked out brilliantly. It just meant it meant I got going and I did well and I didn't have the practice. And it caught up with me near the end, though, because you can only get away with it so, for so much. I just thought, you know, and I got it. And that was a, it was a very adult orchestra. Everybody was much older than me. And then so it was that world. And then then I was every holiday, you know, from the age of 15, 16, I'd, I'd work at recording studios, go down to London and go to places like CTS Studios, which which don't exist any longer. But CTS was kind of, that's where all the film scores got really done. And I'd, I was a tea boy. I'd just make horrendous cups of teas and coffees for everybody <laughs> and burn toast. And so, yeah, so, so the whole upbringing was, I was always surrounded by it. And so at what point, though, did you think about film scoring as a possible profession? Two days ago, probably. A couple of days ago. (laughs) (laughs) Since since reading some of the reviews for Black Widow, I thought I might might be able to give it a go. Look, you know what? I was very fortunate that having a parent that was in the arts, it wasn't a conversation that was to happen. Friends of mine whose parents were bankers or lawyers or you know, in just different worlds, kind of do treat it that way. And it's, when are you getting a real job? So I I kind of just always knew music would be a thing. My um, career advisor at school told me that 
the only thing you can do with music is become a teacher or join the orchestra. And I said, no, 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 no. There's plenty more things you can do. I started doing commercials when I was 15, 16, 15, 16, and started doing short films when I was like 17. So that was kind of the training. And, the, and then I was fortunate to do short films and that kind of led to do TV things. And then when I was at CTS, they were doing, uh, they were recording interview with a vampire. Ah. I just remember kind of being able to sit in there at CTS and um, witness film scoring. And it was just, it was, it was amazing. There was no dialogue or sound effects. There were just, it, so it was a natural kind of, well, to me, it was natural. And my, and my kind of family, because we were surrounded by music. And, and then I suppose in an English class, when I was like 17 or something, you had to do a, a, a paper or a thesis on a subject. You could choose anything you wanted. And I chose something to do with music in the media. I was slowly realizing what film music was. I wrote to Andrew Lloyd Webber, and I wrote to Stuart Copeland, and I wrote to Hans Zimmer. And I basically just kind of wrote this long list of questions. And on hindsight, it was a miracle that anybody bothered replying. <laughs> but Hans, uh, it was written by somebody that worked for an assistant, and it just said, He's very bu busy, and I, so I thought when I read that, I thought, oh, you know, there's the brush off. And he said, he's very busy, but I'm dictating what has been said. So it was about 10 pages of notes. And he put me in contact with Stanley Myers, who was his own mentor. Right. And Gavin Miller, and Gavin had worked with Stanley. So, so he gave me people to contact that could be helpful anyway. And then I wrote, I wrote to Andrew Lloyd Webber, and he, and he said he was too too busy to answer <laughs> answer questions for schoolboys. Um, well, he never said it. His his assistant said it. And then Stuart, I've said this to you before, but Wall Street was just a, a massive influence on me because it was it wasn't about music. It was about noise. I just found it riveting. And, and Stuart kind of wrote back and pointed out how bad my punctuation was <laughs> and my grammar. But, but he gave me help. But anyway, but that long story. Sorry, John. I got there in the end. <laughs> yes. I, did, I basically, I, did, I never knew. Let's, let's jump ahead then uh, to Black Widow. How did you wind up getting this? And were you a Marvel fan? Uh, uh, firstly, John, who's not a Marvel fan <laughs> is the question. Um, I knew Lee, the editor. I knew Dave Jordan, the music um, supervisor. And... And weirdly enough, before I spoke to Kate... Director Kate Shortland. Um, I had been commuting back and forth from London to LA two weeks every month for about a, ye a year and a half. And just ironically, there was a film called The Berlin Syndrome. And it was a film that Kate had directed. And I'd watched it about four or five times on, on my flight journeys going back and forth. It was just a great... It's a great film. So... It was just a weird coincidence. And then when Dave Jordan contacted me about it, they'd been using some of my temp music. That's what happens a, a, a lot now, is that if, you, if your temp music is there, it kind of brings up name people's suggestions. So that's when it, I got brought in, and then, and then Kate and I just started talking a lot and talking about what she had been wanting musically and uh, about the world. And so that's how it started, really. What kind of discussions did you have with Kate Shortland? And did Marvel chief Kevin Feige get involved at all? 
So when Kate and I initially started talking, it was in between filming. Any time that she had a spare 10 seconds on set, she'd phone. So we started talking about what she wanted the story to be musically about Natasha. And then Kevin, the one, the very unique thing about Marvel is this family concept, the way they create movies. And it reminds me very much of DreamWorks with Jeffrey Katzenberg. He was very, very creative and very part of every single film. Very hands-on with Kevin. And he's always with Lee in the edit suite and with, with Kate, but the conversations were always about the past and about who what Natasha's backstory was. And this was before the pandemic, right? Well, yes, it was four months before. We were the last session to record before the lockdown. The first day we recorded, I was in a taxi with my mother going in and out of all these chemists trying to buy her hand sanitizer. The word was getting out. You got to wash your hands. So our first day of recording, it was very relaxing. I don't think it was really being talked about. And then halfway through the recording, everybody started the elbowing business. And by the end, everybody knew and the orchestra knew this is this is the last time we're going to be rec recording. But we didn't think it was going to be as long as it is. Right. And even now, we're still not back to that amount of musicians being able to work. And we'll come back to the whole Abbey Road uh, recording process, which I think is so interesting. But I want to ask you, what kind of discussions did you have with Kate about what kind of music Black Widow would need? Um, we never t kind of talked about superheroes or Avengers. or That was never part of the initial conversations. It was all about the backstory of Natasha and also Yelena. Her, her and sister. Her sister. What I started writing was I wanted to create a backstory musically. And that backstory meant what is the music that they would have listened to as children? What is the nursery rhymes? And a lot of the Russian music I found has kind of ended up creeping into modern folklore. So you've got Tetris theme, which is now kind of part, part of our, our daily musical world. People know that is Tetris, but it originates from you know, classical music. So, so I thought instead of trying to find something, I'd write something. So that was the first task, was to kind of write what their personal soundtrack is, that being folk music. And also you've got the vibrant world of the Red Army, which I wanted to kind of give to uh, Yelena and, and that bold, rich sound and the way the music is kind of the, the, the aggression in it, but yet it's beautiful, it's haunting. When they sing quietly, it's like ghosts of, of the past. So that was that. And, and also kind of looking into the literature side, with Pushkin and Bloch, and the same with the classical references I knew would be in, important with Stravinsky and, and Scraben and Borodin. It was about going back to the origins, and that's what Kate and I just talked about. We, you know, before writing a note, we talked in between shots, and it was, it was the get into that mindset of the past. I, I hope that's what kind of came through, really. What was that was the heritage?
I, I think it's wonderful that the foundation of this score is really sort of rooted in either Russian folk material or the overall Russian classical sound. And I'm wondering, did you have to do some research? I mean, the the Red Army Choir, I think, was a kind of a big deal in the, yes. six, in the 60s and, and beyond. Did you listen to a lot of that? I, I absorbed it like a sponge. The thing is, is that I'm not academically trained. So I have to start from scratch every time a project begins. And I know some will say that I still can't properly write for an orchestra, but they're <laughs> cheeky, so they can keep quiet. But the thing is, is that it's interesting when you listen to Russian music, unlike a lot of other worlds, look, Celtic music, the tone of it is, uh, is very influenced by the instrumentation. Russian music, you can have a westernized orchestra playing it and it still sounds Russian. You don't need a hundred balalaikas playing to make, <laughs> to make the audience feel that it's a Russian experience. So there is, there's a deep background to it and it, we, we've touched on it before, but you look at British writer composers and I think it's, it comes down to our kind of our background to do with choral. A lot of us were choristers. There's, there's a lot of church school kind of back education. So there's a kind of a very, choral way of writing things and tonality, which is kind of the opposite of, of the Russian world. So once you set this sort of foundation of a Russian sound, did you then need to write themes that would apply to, say, Natasha and Yelena and maybe their parents? Uh, talk a little bit about the themes that you needed to write. You always do your research, especially with franchises. So looking at the characters, looking at Black Widow, there was a couple of motifs used in the, in the prior films. So I knew that it had been touched on. And the rule is, to Kate and I, it was about the audience experience and not just being academic and saying, there's your theme, there's your Avengers theme, there's this motif that was used for Black Widow, but, you know, you put it in. It, it had to be right. And... You know, the Avengers theme, uh, there was several places it could have been, not giving too much away. Um, and yes, it, it worked. It just, it, it would have just not worked for the audience. So we just had to find the right place. And then we felt that what we had found of this motif for Natasha was more Black Widow. It wasn't necessarily Natasha. And the whole point was finding out who Natasha was in the backstory. So, so again, that's why I wanted to write this folk piece of music that was, you felt it could have been an original nursery rhyme. So we had that and then Yelena's theme. And then the concept of the family was actually, it was the sister's theme. Because no matter what, being separated, it, it still they still belonged together. And then Drakoff's theme, Ray Winston's. The bad it was, guy. It was... The bad, well, you may say bad, some may say <laughs> confused. Um, but yes, villain themes are always the hardest. They are just because you don't want to go down that approach of making it kind of the, the moustache twirling theme. Because there is a reason to them becoming villains, strangely enough. They don't just turn that way. So those were our kind of our food groups. And then, and then I, I wrote a lot not to picture to try to find that kind of Russian action music now. And um, how do you kind of take those colors from 
Stravinsky, and that sounds, uh, you know, there is no way this is in the part of Stravinsky or, or Prokofiev or any of these people, but it was just trying to kind of look at what, what the harmonies were and, and, and what that world was. Disney's Four Scores is brought to you by the Four Scores Playlist, featuring music and interview clips from each composer featured in the podcast series, including Lauren Balfe's score for Marvel Studios' Black Widow. The Four Scores Playlist is available on all major music streaming services. Experience the magic behind the music you love whenever you like. There's a good deal of humor in this movie, yeah. and their father, who plays the Red Guardian, really Russia's yeah. answer to Captain America, has a lot of comic scenes in the movie. And I wonder, did you have to apply any kind of music that might be comical or amusing in any sense? Or do you stay away from that when you're scoring? I'm personally not a fan of comical music. I, firstly, I can't do it. So thank, and that might be the reason why I'm not a fan of it. I don't understand it. The humor is either there or it's not. The humor is in the writing of the dialogue. So, so with this, the way I kind of treat humor is just to, to pull out. Or sometimes, especially with the Red Guardian, that it was to go over the top. Look, they, they have their own soundtracks in their heads. That's the way I kind of look at things. And, and it's the same, but also there was a little motif in it that actually came from the action figure. When they pulled the string, there was a little tune that comes from the, you know, when the, the string is pulled. So I got my inspiration from that. I made actually that his theme. But no, it was about when he was really in that Red Guardian theme, it was to play it deadly serious. Personally, to me, I'm, I'm from the world of Monty Python, you see. I'm, I'm kind of, I, I, I'm an advocate of that. So that's where my humor comes from, where it's just dead, it's deadly serious. So that was my approach. I hope I didn't mess it up and people still laugh. But to me, it, you know, it, it's to play it for as real as you can. One of the most compelling aspects of this score is the amount of choral material that you wrote. Tell us yeah. about the, your choirs, how big they were, and what it is they're singing when we hear actual words. So the one thing that I thought was kind of interesting, and, and I, I notice a lot, and especially film music, ahs and oohs. Nobody sings words any longer, and it, yeah. it's weird. It's just like, it's just a color. And I thought, well, part of, and it originated from the solo singing to do with Natasha's theme. And it was, it, it was going through Russian literature, and especially poetry. Finding these poems that, that they would have read it as a child. So that was the kind of the inspiration. And it's very difficult also choir writing. One main reason people do it is because it's distracting, having words being sang when people are talking. So everything I recorded, I always record a pass in with the choir singing in Russian. But I was, I'd also do a backup where it was just a, a new, just in case. And then the whole point was to try to get that Red Army sound. So you know, we had 20 bass and 20 tenors in London. I, I, I wanted the record in Russia. We were trying, but it was just time-wise, it was gonna be really difficult. Just the logistics of record, it, it's difficult. There's, 
visas and, and you know but thankfully diana that sang the solo tracks she was able to kind of give us very clear pronunciations of how to do it We spent longer learning the Russian uh, than we did probably recording the takes. You know, it, it was it was it was pigeon recording. You had to kind of go by phrase by phrase and really learn it. But they got it. So we we had the Red Army sound, and then I wanted the female sound introduced by the choir. But what I did, I split them up, so it was half kind of conventional choral choir and half gospel choir. And the reason for that was just so that it, it didn't sound too conventional and just to make it a bit more modern sounding. There's a couple of elements where it, it gets more kind of raw sounding and it's not, I just didn't want it to be kind of your quintessential choral sound. So it was, it was a fascinating blend between you know, those two schools. It really works. And in fact, I called your choral contractor, Jenny O'Grady, yesterday yeah. to get a sense of what it was like uh, for those choirs. And she said there were 40 male voices and 20 female voices, and they sound Russian when they're singing. Yes. During the breaks, I would organize afternoon tea for everybody. And you'd hear them walking around, speaking the, the lyrics all in Russian, trying to kind of get into it. So it was amazing um, what they did. Talk a little bit about the orchestra, too. It's extraordinary to me uh, that it's a pretty big number at Abbey Road. We're very fortunate to have 118 in Studio One. And it wasn't for the whole school. It was for the moments that needed it. It's a different sound. And when writing, I'm very aware of it. I'm, thi I'm thinking about it. It's the same way as when writing, if you know who the musicians are going to be, great you know that solo line you you know what they're going to bring to it so it's going to be a great advantage so yeah for the big moments that needed it we had the full-size orchestra we were very fortunate to get a lot of the cues everybody recording at the same time which is very old-fashioned these days but i know that the purists prefer it but it's just, it's not possible with action films these days. You're fighting against sound effects and the dub stage, they're just calling for you just to deliver stems. They want everything divided and split so that the strings are separate than the brass, just so they've got control. So that if, with action sequences specifically, it's great to have all the short strings on its own fader, just because that's your motor and that can help cut through car sounds and things. So. It was just, listen, it was just great having them all playing the Avengers theme. You know, we all crept out of the control room to kind of walk in and, and all hear it. And, you know, everybody can't stop smiling when you're hearing it. So we had that. And also just some great soloists. As, as, as a failed drummer, I just, I love rhythms. That's, that's, the, that's the way I look at things. So a lot of the drum programming, I, I wanted to see if I could get a, a beatbox in, and like the way we all do nowadays, we're discovering musicians on YouTube. It's an amazing resource. And I found Kimmy Beatbox. So she came down 
for a few sessions and it was just basically copying what the drum rhythms were doing just to get that blend of breath into the score and I, I was I was watching television and, and there was a band Simple Minds one of my favorite bands because they are Scottish so I will anything <laughs> Scottish I will promote but I, I love them and and I just I saw Cherise playing and I, I just thought gosh she is fantastic and it was just amazing timing she was in London not on tour so she came down to Abbey Road got to record and then the same with the, the guitar factor there was because of the folk element, I wanted that guitar-based in my head, especially with traditional Russian pieces. So uh, Laura Snowden, who's a fantastic classical guitarist, she was able to come down and record also. So yeah, it was it's a privilege to have all these musicians. The, 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 the films that they've all played on, going back the last like 30, 40 years, some of them 50 years, I think, and in Studio One at Abbey Road, you, it's just, it oozes tradition. So it's always a pinch me moment. And it's wonderful that you you mentioned Charisse and Laura and Kimmy, and you earlier mentioned your vocalist, Diana, and your violinist, yeah. Jasmine Flicker. Jasmine Flicker, yeah. It's fascinating that these are all major women soloists in a movie that really is either about sisterhood or family at its heart. Yes, it's also about trying to not necessarily look at the score and, and, and make it feminine. If that makes sense, it's happened in the past with soundtracks where the, just because you have a female lead, it doesn't need to be that kind of whimsical feminine sound that has happened in film schools. The way to look at it was it does not matter what sex the person is. It's simply strong individuals. And with Cherise on drums, I couldn't care what, what sex they are. The fact is, she's just an amazing drummer. So it's a bonus to have all these great musicians and they're female but it's the fact that to me i hope it doesn't necessarily make the, the school feel an, an opinion point of view it should it's just simply just about the fact that they could be two brothers or two sisters it's about that family connection this is a kind of prequel in a way to some of the avengers pictures because yeah. uh, as we know natasha actually dies at the end of avengers oh but we know that at the event <laughs> that avengers endgame yeah. she's gone and i'm wondering yeah. did that uh, enter into the idea that there's a bit of a cloud over natasha in this picture and i'm wondering if the the general mood of, of dark Russian sounds entered into that at all? I, I didn't look at it that way. It was about the past and the present. I'd probably be more focused on the spirit of her and the spirit of her character. And I think it was more focusing on them as kids because of that childhood. And it's like, Casal goes back to the first question. Very clever, John. I like the way we've gone around in circles. <laughs> It goes back to the ori the origin and, and what happens to us in our childhood makes us who we are, whether we like it or not. You have done a ton of action films in your career. And I often wonder when I come to a new one, and there's a lot of action in this movie, how do you write something different? I'm still trying to figure that one out. It's really, really difficult. It's because no matter what you do, it's so easy to throw the label generic at it because everything's been done. Yeah. We did Fallout and and some people kind of referenced that sounding like a couple of other films. And it was like, you, you've, go back, I'm sorry, but go back 50 years 
that rhythm was the <laughs> that's the past we've we've all been imitating that so it's very difficult and, and i think that's why with this film it was about stepping back and not writing to picture and trying to write these pieces where the influence was i didn't want it to get too mu kind of muso it was about uh, a train and that's the way i kind of looked at her her path and yelena's is this just this train going straight for it so I wrote a lot not to picture to try to figure out what that Russian sound is, but also how to make it contemporary and modern. And I saw the importance with not repeating yourself. It's, di it's difficult because it's in your fingers. I'm Scottish and, and there's always a Celticness sometime to my writing. And that's just part of my DNA. And, and it, it's a very difficult one. But sometimes I think you've just got to let go and just do what you feel is right because it's like overanalyzing it and you, you feel, oh, that's been done here or that's been done. And you think about it afterwards and that's why I never go back and watch things I've done. I say good night and goodbye. <laughs> this strikes me as not only an ambitious score but a complicated one to have uh, pulled off and I'm wondering how long did you have to write all of this music? First, well, first question, very complicated. The orchestration and the kind of the, the grandeur of the writing is not necessarily the easiest for me. It makes it um, a challenge, which is good. It's, it's like, I, I remember working on Penguins of Madagascar and that type of swing writing with an orchestra. I, I had no idea how to do it. And then it was like, oh, I, I understand. You, got, you, know, you just learn your own way of doing it. And it, so the... The, the colours of it, the Russian writing of it, also wanting the kind of... I just wanted to keep in that world of the Avengers. I'm not saying it's of any comparison to, to what Alan has created, because it's, it's its own universe, his writing. So I can only be a simple homage to that kind of orchestration. The writing of it was two, two three months, and then traveling to LA and, and doing that very scary situation when you play your first initial ideas. We kind of know where we're going to end up. There's a lot of action, but there's also a lot of emotion and there's a lot of tender moments. And that, that was the hardest, strangely, because it was, we just didn't want to kind of make it that usual Hollywood emotional concepts, which which uh, I don't know what that even means any longer. So when I get, uh, no, it's too Hollywood sounding. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> I love this score. I think it really helps the movie work. And I think that it's a wonderful accomplishment. So thank you for spending some time with us today. My pleasure, John. And it's, it's always an honor talking to you because of the sheer, that you, you embarrass me with my lack of knowledge, <laughs> with what my craft is meant to be, film music. So it's always a treat to talk to you. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Four Scores. Please subscribe and make sure to share this episode with your music-loving friends. It would also be great if you could rate it because that really helps others find the series. Check out Marvel Studios' Black Widow on Disney Plus and listen to the soundtrack wherever music is enjoyed. <laughs>